Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Well, Russia has ordered VPN providers to provide, to block banned sites. They don't like all of this autonomous surfing going on in Russia. There have been 36 new security flaws discovered in the LTE protocol. That's the fourth generation cellular protocol for CDMA. And we'll talk a bit about that. Tesla cars keep a lot of data. There was a... uh, a Tesla crash, and the entire crash had been recorded on video, so the police could check out everything after the fact. This week, we're going to feature the man who founded Viber. Viber, of course, is a voiceover IP communication uh, application for the mobile phone. It's one of my favorites. And uh, this uh, this gentleman, Talman Marco, is from Israel, mm-hmm. and he... Um, ended up developing a very, very nice application. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. Giant, humongous tent. Yes. Hang on. Here he is. There's a letter in your mailbox. Just back from a camel on the ground floor. Yes. Yes. I can imagine. We got an email from John <laughs> in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, why are cables so expensive? Can I just buy a cheap cable and... Instead of getting the expensive one that the stores are Bad pushing idea. and still survive, love the podcast, John and Fairfax. Well, John, stores are always pushing expensive cables because guess what? They make more money on them. <laughs> and they figure you're going to buy it anyway because, well, you need the cable, you don't have a lot of time, and, you're, and they're going to recommend it. Now, the truth is that in the old days, when we were running analog audio, and analog video, cable quality did make a difference. So these fancy gold-plated connectors and fancy shielding actually did produce a better picture because you have to have a certain degree of signal-to-noise in an analog picture to get high quality. On the other hand, when we went to digital communication, and that would be with HDMI, USB, and others, other protocols, digital communication either works or not. And it turns out digital communication is very good at just uh, getting rid of any kind of distortion, any kind of, um, you know, noise that comes into the cable. So actually with a digital communication protocol, you can actually use a crummy cable. And, and, it's, and, it's, and if it works, you've got no degradation in quality at all. It either works or doesn't work. So in fact, the cheap cable will work pretty much as well as uh, the super expensive one. So you don't need to waste your money. But, you know, if you want to save more money, frequently you can get refurbished electronics, refurbished iPhones. They're not bad. They're refurbished by the manufacturer. They come with a guarantee. You save money there. And when you buy electronics, never, ever buy that extended warranty. It's a complete ripoff. 
We got an email from Len in Woodbridge. Dear Tech Talk, sometimes I log into Facebook at a friend's house, and then I forget to log out. Is there a way to log out remotely after I'm at home? I don't want somebody, like, posting stuff to my account. Thanks, Len in Woodbridge. Well, it is easy to forget to sign out of Facebook every time you move on to something different. And it's extremely important to log out because if uh, if you leave, say, logged in, somebody could log into that computer and they could do whatever they want with your account because they would be logged into your account. You can remotely turn off a Facebook session. Now, if you want to do it from a computer, you simply log into your Facebook account on the computer. Then you click on the little gear-shaped icon located in the upper right-hand corner. Then you click on Settings. Then you click on security and login, and you and then you'll see and then you'll see a section called where you're logged in, and you'll see a list of devices you're currently logged on. It'll be the device you're on now plus everything else. You can click on each one of those devices, and then you can log out of each of the device individually, and then there you're off. And so you can you can completely control who's logged into your Facebook account. Now, if you're on the, um, you can also do that from your mobile device. Simply open up to, open up the Facebook app. Tap on the menu button, and uh, which looks like three horizontal dots. You then scroll down to settings and privacy link. Tap on settings. Again, tap on security and login. Scroll down to it says where you're logged in. Again, you'll see a list of devices. Just click on each one of the devices, and then you can tap log out of that device. And you are good to go. That was a good question. We got an email yeah. from David in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I have quite a few old smartphones and tablets in the house. I'd like to find a use for them. Is there any way that I can use them as a wireless security cam? Well, that's a that's an interesting yeah. idea. That, that's a great idea, David. Well, you are in luck. There's a simple app that you can download, and you can turn them into a wireless security cam. It's called it's called Epic Cam, E P O C Cam. And it's a fantastic free app, and you just download it, and it, it will turn your iPad or your iPhone into a streaming video that that you can connect to any web browser. It's available for both the Android and the iPhone. The app's easy to install and set up. Simply download it, install, run the app that matches your device. Then you place the camera uh, facing where you want it to look. You'll need to enter in the Wi-Fi connection password, and you want to jot down the IP address that the app gives you for monitoring it. Write that app, write that IP address down. Then when you go to any web browser, you simply type in that IP address and boom, you will see exactly what that iPhone or iPad is seeing in your house and you can check it out. It's really a good application for some of these old devices. I've also seen some people use uh, old iPads for one of these digital picture frames. You can download a digital picture frame app and you can download pictures to the iPad and it will like scroll through the pictures. So... That's a nice feature. What It would be nice if the app would let you upload new pictures, you know, over the web so you could you could update it, but you have to actually put them on the device itself. We got an email from Alice in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I've listened to your discussions about two-factor authentication. Wow. Alice is really on top of that. Uh-huh. And I'm using it for my Facebook account and my bank account. Excellent. Excellent, Alice. Of course, two-factor authentication is you you have the password of the account, so you log in using your password, and then the website sends 
a text message to your mobile phone or to an e- or to another email account and then with in that text message your email is typically a six digit number and then you have to take that six digit number and type that into the that's and type that into the website and so you've proven then that's your second authentication that's why it's called two factor authentication and and it's it's uh, more secure because if somebody steals your password but they don't have your cell phone they can't log on the problem that i'm getting uh, this I'm going back to Alice's letter now after that uh-huh. small aside. The problem <laughs> is I'm getting to ready, ready to buy a new phone in a few days, and I'm afraid after I'm with my new phone, this two-factor authentication is not going to work. Um, Alice in Fairfax, well, Alice, you don't really need to worry about getting locked out of your accounts. Two-factor authentication is tied ties the security of your account to your phone number, not to the phone itself. Therefore, if you're simply switching to a new phone it's not, and keeping the same phone number, it's not going to affect your ability to log on at all. However, if you're going to get a new phone, say, with a new carrier, and you're not porting your number over and you get a new phone number, uh, that will be a problem because it's, you know, the, the, the second factor authentication is going to go to your old phone number. So if you're going to get a new phone number, what you want to do is before you get the new phone number – you disable two-factor authentication on all your accounts. And then after you get the new phone number, you re-enable it with the new phone number. Um, if you don't disable it before you get the new phone number, you're going to have a problem. We got an email from Arnie in Colorado Springs. Hi, Dr. Shirts. I recently noticed that the address line on my iPad when I look at a site says not secure. Very lightly to, to, to the left of the address. Like he said, I went to dslreports.com and it was not secure. Thus, to the left, he went to espn.com and it also said not secure. It, the not secure part is a kind of a dim strip, uh, dimmed. Um, it's in dim script just to the left of the address. What what does that actually mean? Does this mean that I'm a, a vulnerable to attack? No, Arnie. All that means is you are not using secure socket layer. There, you can either go in, communicate to a website using um, unencrypted data. That would be HTTP, um, and it just and people can intercept your data to and from the website. So usually, if you're going to be putting in passwords and other things, you'd rather have an encrypted connection between you and the website. And the encrypted connection between you and the website is called secure socket layer (SSL), and and that's indicated in the uh, in the web addresses HTTPS colon. Now, I went to DS, and most websites support both, by the way. So if you log on to dslreports.com and you put an HTTP colon slash slash dslreports.com, it's going to say not secure. But if you put HTTPS in front of the, in front of the web address and go to dslreports.com, it will enable secure socket layer, and you won't get that not secure. So DSL Reports supports both. Encrypted and unencrypted data streams. Now, what's interesting, and I was, I was surprised when I went to ESPN.com, it didn't support HTTPS. So, ESPN.com did not support secure socket layer, and I was I was a little surprised at that. Most most websites do support both. We got an email from Tom Schum, dear Tech Talk. I listened to your discussion about adjustable eyeglasses last week, and the site you referenced is dormant. Now, you can actually buy adjustable glasses for $88.95. This is using the same technology that this guy invented. You simply go to micromark.com, 
and search for iJusters, E-Y-E-J-U-S-T-E-R-S. Now, they have an adjustable strength from 0.5 to 4.0 diopters, which, you know, which, which is a wide range of magnification. And you can simply turn the hidden eye dial to change the magnification instantly. Uh, so that actually is, is still available, but they're no longer be giving them away for free. You buy them. But I agree, they do look a little bit nerdy. What do you think of those, Jimmy? Beyond, See that picture? we talked about this last week, yeah. they're awful. Now, so they go from 0.5 to 4.0 diopter. Diopter is sort of an indication of how much magnification you have. You know what a diopter is, Jim? Um, no. It's one over the focal length in meters. Really? Yeah. So, so say a, so say 2.5 diopters would be a 40 centimeter focal length. It's one over 0.4. Do okay. Let me ask you this: Do you think people's do people have issues with their eyes where their 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 prescription literally changes and fluctuates? No. What where where you where you might have it is that suppose you were doing uh, some close in work on say uh, repairing a watch. So, and then and then and you and you hold it very close to the eye, and then and then you're doing something else where you're holding it further away. Oh, I see. So you may need a different diopter if you're doing different types of tasks. Magnification. Magnification. So if, these would not necessarily be something you'd wear out in public. These are these would be really good for if you're working at home on a project. If you're working at home on a project, oh. and, and and so instead of having bifocals. You know, instead of having bifocals, you can just flip between two two different magnifications. See, I can't I can't do bifocals. I I would not like a bifocal. So you don't have a need for them. I no, uh uh-uh. uh. I do, but I've tried to use them. I tried to use the uh, the, the lineless ones. It, it's enough to make my head explode. I can't do it. Now, see, what they need are these adjustable glasses that connect to your cell phone. So you could just punch a button and you could just adjust them remotely without having to tinker with that little that, screw on the thing. That's a great idea. It's okay, so so knowing now what these glasses are intended for, this is really not a bad idea. It's it's not a bad Especially idea. Especially if you're a craftsman or you work on things like watches or have some close-up work like that. It's a good idea. That's right. That's right. Not Who cares too bad. what you look like? And they're, they're only $88. It's not bad. But the key to remember— a diopter is one over the focal length in meters. Okay. You know, you go to a cocktail party, you are just – people are going to gravitate. the room. They're, no, they're, they're going to gravitate and say, look at this guy. He knows all no, about diopters. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're clearing the room. Let's go to Clyde's afterwards and test it out. Okay. Go to the bar at Clyde's we'll, right we'll, across the I'll, way. I'll, I'll, t- I'll go in there and t- sit t- talk about and diopters at the bar. like eight or so bar stools down. Well, and just watch well the fun. I'll get one of the glass, uh, you know, the glass beer steins, and we'll see how many. <laughs> we'll see how many diopters that the, the lenses at the bottom of that uh, of that beer stein. Now that beer may goggles. that may be uh, that may attract some attention for a while. Uh, yes, it, not the good kind. Not the good kind. Uh, we got an email from Andy in Indianapolis. Dear Tech Talk, my boyfriend and I have a bet that's riding on the answer to this question. Is a six-digit PIN number really all that more secure than a four-digit PIN number? It doesn't seem like those two digits would make that much difference. He says it makes a big difference and makes the phone much harder to break into. So who's right? I'm guessing guessing six digits. Six digits, yeah. Six-digit PIN is more than slightly more secure than a four-digit PIN. It's a lot more secure. It's exponential, right? Yeah. You add more digits. That's right. In fact, it's a fact. It turns out four digits 
have 10,000 combinations. And that, that would be yeah. 10 to the fourth power. Because uh-huh. you've got four digits. Each digit can be one through zero through nine. And what's the diopter on that? So that uh, there's no diopter on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so... So a four-digit pin has ten thousand combinations. So somebody's going to try to get into your phone and have to go through it ten, you know, ten thousand times. But that would take them a while. But if you've got six digits, it's ten to the sixth power, and that's a million possibilities. So there's a big difference between a million combinations and uh, ten thousand. Yeah. So a six-digit pin is much, much better. And that's why, you know, Apple, uh, you know, that's why all the iPhone manufacturers, the Android phones are trying to push people to six-digit pins. And people can remember six digits. I sure. mean, if, if it were like a 14-digit pin, people, really could, people couldn't remember it. Like Pi. You right. use Pi as your, as your passcode. Oh, you use Pi as the passcode, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's going to – yeah. Uh, yeah that's, <laughs> that might work for you. It, 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 it might work. How many digits can you remember in Pi? I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> 3.14. Four one five nine. Those those are the. That's as much as and I that's know. That's more than six. So you could use yeah. that as your passcode. Yeah, three point one four one five nine. Because that is when I, when I'm doing calculations, those are enough digits to make the calculations accurate enough. So I just always know that it's actually musical. Three point one four one five nine. But after one five nine, you know, it, it it sort of fades out a little bit. We <laughs> love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard on. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Talman Marco. Talman Marco is an Israeli-American entrepreneur best known as CEO and founder of Viber, a voice-over IP application for smartphones. Tolman was born in Tel Aviv, Israel in 1973. 
1993, he entered the Israeli Defense Forces Central Command uh, as sort of a computer technical specialist, and he ultimately became the chief information officer for that command. He was like a big deal there in technology. In 1997, he co-founded Expand Networks and served as the company's president until 2004. Now, Expand Networks is a technology company that helped pioneer the worldwide, uh, which helped pioneer an optimization program for wide area networks. In 1999, he he went back to he graduated from Tel Aviv University with a degree, a bachelor's degree in computer science and management. And after getting his bachelor's degree, he ultimately moved to the U.S. and got involved in the tech scene. In 2005, after leaving the Army, he founded iMesh. Now, that's a peer-to-peer file sharing service. Now, remember, peer-to-peer file sharing services is how people were, like, downloading all these illegal MP3 files and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But iMesh was set up where you would do peer-to-peer service, but you would download legal copies of, of audio files. And so he got the record... The RIAA, which is the record industry, you know, lobbying group, to actually endorse his technology as a download methodology that they would favor. So iMesh was actually scaling up and doing quite well. In 2010, he co-founded Viber with Igor Magazinic. It, That'll work for me. Magazinic. That's close enough for tech talk work. Now, he was a friend uh, that he had in the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, now, he served, uh, and then uh, Talman served as CEO of Viber until 2014. Now, Marco started Viber because he had a long-distance relationship. Uh, Marco lived in New York. You say that, it sounds so steamy the way you say that. And his girlfriend lived in Hong Kong. Ah, Okay, she's currently his wife, but at Mm -hmm. that time, just his girlfriend. And they were just burning up the phone lines, talking all the time. Mm -hmm. And the phone bill was going through the roof. So Mark Tallman, Marco, wanted to figure out a cheaper way to talk to his girlfriend. And so he developed Viber as a way to communicate. They're using voice over IP. Now, there were other services out there, but he just wanted to develop his own service. There was WhatsApp was just beginning to start up. There was WeChat, and there was Skype. Those were the three. And uh, he ran the company from Israel, but all the development was outsourced to Belarus, Russia. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they could get cheaper coding done there. And it turns out his co-founder was from Belarus, Russia. He was a Russian Jew. And so they did the development out of Belarus, Russia. The company was registered in Cyprus. Now, Viber did not receive any venture capital money at all. It was a lean startup. Fund, he funded it by, with his family and friends as well as, 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 well as profits from his other his other program, but basically the um, the iMesh program was 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 generating a little bit of little was generating a little bit of funding there. So the, taking money from iMesh, he used it to sort of bootstrap Viber. Now, for the first two years that the program was available, it didn't generate any revenue because Viber you download it free, you use it free. If you talk to another iPhone, it's completely free, and it was 
and nobody paid anything to use it. There weren't any ads on it, and he didn't want to corrupt it with ads. So he didn't, he didn't you know, take the quick route to monetize it. He wanted to figure out a way to monetize it that would actually work. So he, he created then an, another feature for Viber called Viber Out. Now, Viber Out is if you want to talk to a landline, you, of course, can't do voice over IP directly to a landline. So you have to go through a gateway and then go on to the traditional telecom network and then ring the landline. And there's a cost to that. And so he created a, a um, you know, Viber Out. You, you put money in. And if you, want to, if you want to call a landline through Viber Out, he gets a small percentage of that long-distance charge. But still, you know, when you use – you know, I use Viber Out. I mean, I'm still only paying, you know, a few cents a minute. It's still pretty cheap. It's like Skype rates. So that hmm. was the first way they made money. Then the second way they, that he made money, he, he created this little sticker store, and you could buy stickers like – a Valentine's sticker or a St. Patrick's Day sticker. Now, I'm telling you, I got no interest in these stickers. Um, yeah. But apparently, these stickers for, you know, for the younger generation are it's a big thing. Are big things. So they, you know, they, you know, they talk and then they send a the little Valentine's sticker there and, and, and you pay for that. So this, with the sticker. I'll make sure I don't send you one the next time we talk Well, on thank you. Yeah. And I, I do not want any stickers on uh, any Viber stickers. So here, so he ended up making pretty good money after, with these two simple ways to monetize it. And he did it without having ads. So I've I've been using Viber for years. I love it. I haven't paid a penny I didn't except know you when did. except when I do Viber out. Yeah, huh? I, I love Viber. Because More than Skype? Yeah, I don't like Skype. Skype is really kludgy compared to Viber. Yeah, but you plug Skype on the show every week. I know. But <laughs> that's true. I'm sorry to Take burst burst like my bubble. Yeah. But well, this is for people that use Skype. I, I I don't use Skype. You see, there's a difference. The, what Viber did, you don't need a username or password on Viber. Mm-hmm. It's just so easy. You just give it your phone number. Mm-hmm. And it figures that it's your phone. You got the phone. So you, that, that's enough authentication. So it's really easy to, you know, to set up an account and use it. And then if you're... If you're out and you've and you got Wi-Fi, you got a data connection. Somebody just rings your phone number, and Viber rings automatically, uh, whether, the, whether it's even on or whether you don't even have to have it open. The problem is, if we tried to use Viber for the pop quiz, they'd, we'd have to give them a cell phone number, right? Yeah. See, it, Viber, that's not going to happen. No, Viber wouldn't work. And then they, we'd have we to do, use your cell phone. But we'd have to do a Viber out, and then have to pay for it. So the only way, so I've got a, so I've got a, a way that I can forward it to the studio here, and then I pay the charge when we forward uh, to the studio within Skype. Because you're a nice guy. I'll, I'll try to think if we can do it with Viber. I'll try to work on that a little bit. Okay. Um, now he um, he basically um, had another issue. There was a security issue because people are worried about. People tapping into their conversation and listening in on them. So he mm-hmm. went in and he spent a lot of time on security and he created an end-to-end encryption system. As soon as he had end-to-end encryption set up, similar to what WhatsApp has, boom, Viber's, Viber just expanded across the world. I mean, I think they're up to 800 million users now. Wow. Now, in, now here's the thing. This guy is like Mr. – Follow all the rules and not do anything wrong. <laughs> but in 2012, he was arrested. What? He w- and he was, but he was arrested and released. He was taking a Delta flight, and they had that GoGo uh, Wi-Fi service. Mm-hmm. And so he was using Viber to make a phone call. And apparently, uh. in the terms of service, 
you're not allowed to use you're not allowed to make phone calls over that over that Wi-Fi. And service. that got him arrested. And so what happened was the the stewardess came back and she gave him some sort of because he invented Viber and she was giving some sort of techno techno mumbo jumbo about why it was dangerous for him to do this and he knew it was complete bogus. Yeah, right. Was, what she was saying was coming and by. so he he argued with the stewardess. He said, "Well, what you're telling me makes no sense at all." And then, and then somebody else came back and they gave him some tech, techno mumbo jumbo. He argued with them because, I mean, he's the guy that developed the Viber app. He knew exactly what it was. Well, and we, so then they they got so upset with him. I think he learned his lesson that when the flight, when the Delta flight ended, you know, security people came on and escorted him off. Um, didn't we talk about this, that the, that whole mumbo-jumbo about using your cell phone on la- landing and takeoff? Yeah, it doesn't affect the, It doesn't affect anything. No. It doesn't affect anything. They they just don't like people, you know, using it. I think they need to get rid of that rule. I mean, yeah. I think pilots use it in the cockpit. Probably do. You know, and, they, mm-hmm. and nobody really cares about it. Now, he admitted that. Th- so that was the one embarrassment that he had. But, you know, but how often do you have the guy that invents the app use it right on the airplane? Now, in 2014, because remember, he started making money on Viber with these stickers and with this Viber out. Mm-hmm. So Rakuten came in, and they bought it for $900 million. Wow. So here was the deal. One of his uncles or something invested enough money to have 55% of the company. So his uncle made $496 million mm-hmm. out of that deal. So they just loved Tolman Marco after that deal. And everybody wanted to, you know, invest in his companies. Now, in 2016, he founded Juno. Now, this was a ride-sharing app. You see, he he believed that um, that Uber is basically an unethical company. He doesn't like the way they operate. Mm-hmm. He says they're, you know, they they basically squeeze their drivers. They operate in a very unethical way. And, and he likes. He says I, he he has a north star for ethics. And so he he got Juno set up as a ride sharing app. And what this is, the um, when the more drivers drive on Juno, they get actually a little piece of equity in the company. So they become true partners. And so they and he also gives them get this benefits. Hmm. You know, so they're like employees and they get benefits. And the more they drive for Juno. They get a stake in the company. So he said, well, if, if, if he was, his belief was if you treat the drivers fairly, you'll get the best drivers. Sure. And then you'll expand. And so that was the deal. And so he started this uh, Juno in 2017 and then get hired it in 20. And he started in 2016. And the next year in 2017, get hired it. Now, get was a company that was sort of acquiring all of these ride sharing companies that were competing with Uber and Lyft. They acquired it for $200 million mm. after only one year. Wow. Isn't that a good deal? So really, Tallman doesn't have to worry about how much he's spending on phone calls anymore. He No, he does not worry about it all. And, and, he's, and he, he likes to tell you, you know, he follows his moral compass, as I was saying. Like, for instance, companies wanted a backdoor into the Viber encryption, uh, like some of these, uh, you know, repressive governments. And some of the... Applications actually allowed that to happen. And Tallman said, look, he said, no way, Jose. He refused to compromise the encryption. And so uh, Viber was banned from some countries. And, uh, and he treated drivers like partners. He didn't want to have obnoxious ads on Viber, so he found another way to monetize it. So 
He's actually run his companies quite well, and he's been rewarded for it. He holds two patents related to TCP IP packet transmission, which is very important when you're doing streaming media. So there you go. Everything you need to know about Talman Marco. Excellent. The CEO and founder of Viber. Hope you're paying attention because knowledge we just imparted upon you could be used to gain free food, free lunch, coming up in the pop quiz. So stand by. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you can sit down now. You keep the pop. No, don't, please don't throw the popcorn. It's yes. great that we have so much more space with it's the stadium seating here in the makes, new studio. It makes a French big, big difference. Of course, this is not simply a radio show. This is also a classroom of the airways. And we're going to evaluate whether you have been listening with the pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll win tickets to fine dining at one of our various dining rooms at Stratford University. Someplace or McDonald's. Maybe. That's right. Earlier in the show, I talked about Talman Marco. He, of course, is best known as founder and CEO of Viber. What was the motivating factor that inspired him to create Viber? If you know the answer to today's question, well, good for you. In order to turn it into free food, you need to pick up the phone and dial us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. 
Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're thinking about hitting us up on WhatsApp in Canada, try the wildcard line instead. 877-936-9333. And if none of those are appealing to you, try us on the international line. 877-9-3639-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. And of course, if you're calling in from the Palestine region around Israel, you can reach us on Skype and on a secure connection. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your call. So, dial now. Obligatory disclaimer. Okay, we move along now. Cybersecurity is going to be a big deal in the future. Uh, cybersecurity Ventures predicts that there are going to be 3.5 million cybersecurity jobs that will go unfilled by 2021. And 1.2 million to 1.5 million of those jobs are going to be in the United States. The research and statistics firm compiled that number after reviewing dozens of employment figures from analysts, job boards, vendors, governments, media, and other organizations. Cybercrime is also expected to cost $6 trillion a year by 2021, up from $3 trillion a year in 2015. Hmm. That's why cybersecurity is such a big deal, because cybercrime is expensive. Cybercrime is the single biggest threat to humanity that we've seen in our lifetime besides nuclear weapons. The impact on infrastructure like gas lines, electric power, water is enormous. Figures from Mondo, the digital marketing and staffing agency, show that some jobs in cybersecurity pay six figures and more. For instance, an information security engineer or network security analyst would expect to earn from 90k to 150k depending on experience while a cybersecurity analyst might earn from 90 to 185k so it's good money that's why we've got a lot of cybersecurity programs at Stratford University both at the graduate level and at the undergraduate level okay we do have somebody on the phone who would like to play the game <clears throat> let's see if I can get the phones to work today it's always a big if right yes let's go to line one let's see what it is it's Lewis calling us from Rockville good morning Lewis how are you Lewis? Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? Dr. Schertz, please ask the question. Yes. Early in the show, I talked about Talman Marco. What inspired him to create the application Viber? Because he had a long-distance uh, relation with his girlfriend in Hong Kong. That is correct. That is correct. Very good. Uh, Lewis, hang on a second. We're going to take your information. We're going to send you back to Andrew, and he will get that prize right out to you. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. We're on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the program here from our new studios in Friendship Heights, Maryland, by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. More Tech Talk right after this. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. You know, cybersecurity is such a big deal, but usually... It's an inside job. That's one of the biggest problems. Really? Yeah. Interesting. It's one, one of the biggest problems. Revenge, or is it somebody that, that slips through the cracks and, and is basically an opportunist it's, when they're uh, hired? It's revenge many times. Ah, okay. There was an IT guy who was fired, and he went back and erased 23 of the company's servers that Ooh. were stored on the Amazon web. Ouch. In 2016, Vuva, a marketing and software company, um, fired an IT staffer. And it paid a big price. That that Stafford only worked there for four weeks. Mm. It was 36-year-old Stefan Needhan, and they let him go due to poor performance. Now, but he was still able to access the company's system soon after being being terminated. I mean, they canceled his credentials, but he stole the credentials of a fellow employee so he could log on. So after gaining entry to Vuva's network, Needham erased the Amazon web server computers that hosted the company's main business applications and data. As a result, the company lost big contracts with transport companies worth over $700,000, and they were unable to recover the deleted data. Now, Needham was ultimately tracked down and arrested, and he was found guilty, and he's going to go to jail for two years. But here's the thing. He was using the credential of another employee. Had the other employee enabled two-factor authentication, it wouldn't have worked Mm. because there would have been a message that comes to a cell phone giving him the second factor, and Needham would not have had it. So the the message from this and the lesson from this is when you've got critical web servers in a company, always set up two-factor authentication. And why, because this is such a well-known thing, do a lot of companies not do this? I don't know. And there's, it's always these inside jobs because the IT guys can set up back – they can do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you've really got to be careful. Well, they have the knowledge. The, they've got the knowledge. Okay, three pioneers in artificial intelligence have won the Turing Award. In 2004, Jeffrey Hinton really wanted to go after his pursuit of neural networks. These are self-learning um, networks where they, you basically give them data and they train themselves. You don't really program them. And it was, it was a way so he could train machines to see the world around him, recognize sounds, understand natural language. He was really into this. He was backed by the Canadian government. Uh, and Dr. Hinton, with that backing, um, set up at the University of Toronto a new research community 
with several academics who also tackled the concept of applying this to, you know, to language recognition, image recognition, and all the different things that uh, neural networks do so well. That included Jan LeCun, a professor at New York University, and Joshua Bengio from the University of Montreal. And these guys made tremendous progress in applying neural network foundational concepts to develop the whole idea. Now we call it machine learning and it's and it's done, you know, it's done broadly, but these guys were in at the beginning. On March 27th of this year, the Association for Computing Machinery announced that Drs. Hinton, Lacoon, and Bengio won, would win this year's Turing Award for their work on neural networks. Now the Turing Award was introduced in 1966, often called the Nobel Prize of Computing. It includes a $1 million prize that the three of them will split. Very good. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. On the web at thefederalnewsnetwork.com, and you can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Watch us do the program live by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. You can watch us, uh, you know, do the Tech Talk fashion show, see what we're wearing this morning. Watch we stand up and sit down in exciting things like that. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Russia has ordered VPN providers, that's virtual private network providers, to block banned sites. Hmm. Now, the Russian authorities have ordered the 10 major VPN providers to begin blocking sites on the country's blacklist. So the top among those are NordVPN, which is very well known in the U.S. as being very secure. ExpressVPN, it's my favorite. I've been using that for years. IPVanish. And the fourth one is Hide My Ass. Which, <laughs> which, this, because Where's the dump button? I, oh, Wow. That's that's the uh, that is the. You four- can say that, right? You can yes. say that. It's the name of the app because okay. you're trying to hide. It's 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 anonymous surfing, and uh, I don't recommend that last app. No. Uh, it also TorGuard 
also received notification, and it pulled its services out of Russia immediately. So I'm going to be interested to see how NordVPN and ExpressVPN um, respond to this demand because I think it's fairly unreasonable, and I'm going to hope that they're going to do the same thing as TorGuard. Now, the government is demanding that the affected services begin interfacing with the government database and block all the sites that are listed in that database. The notice also says the consequences for not doing so is that the, is that the VPN itself will be placed on a blacklist so people within Russia could not access it. The demand from the government requires that the VPN hand over information to the authorities, including details of operation and places of business. That sounds very onerous it to me. It does, indeed. 36 new security flaws for LTE have been discovered. A group of researchers from South Korea identified 36 new vulnerabilities in LTE standards. You know what LTE stands for? Long-term evolution. Okay, all right. That is just a terrible name, right? It is. Long-term evolution. Uh, And it's used by thousands of mobile networks and millions of users across the world. It's, It's basically the CDMA standard developed by Qualcomm. Now the vulnerability allows attackers to to dis the uh, uh, the vulnerabilities allow the attackers to disrupt mobile base stations, block incoming calls to a device, disconnect users from the mobile network, send spoofed text messages, eavesdrop, and manipulate user data. These are pretty pretty severe vulnerabilities. They were discovered by the four-person research team from the Korean Advanced Institute of Science and Technology and documented a research paper that they're going to deliver on May 2019. Now, they found a total of 51 vulnerabilities. 36 were new, 15 had been identified earlier. Now, what they do, I mean, you, you might say, how could they discover so many so quickly? Doc, how could they discover so many so quickly? That is a great question. Thank you. They're using a technique called fuzzing. fuzzing. Please explain. Doc, what's fuzzing? Fuzzing. It's a code testing method that inputs a large quantity of random data into an application and analyzes the output looking for abnormalities. It just sort of just floods it with this random data checking for abnormalities, and that in turn gives developers a hint about the presence of a possible bug. So this is a very clever way to debug software. Mm-hmm. And so they applied that technique, and they found all of these applications. Now, the um, the researchers notified the standards bodies. That would be the 3GPP. That's the industry body behind LTE. They also... Uh, notified GSMA. That's the industry body that represents mobile operators. They notified the baseband chipset companies as well as the network equipment vendors. So these guys could actually start working on fixing these vulnerabilities before they publish the paper in May of 2019. Now, Tesla cars are keeping data, lots of data. Two researchers found a trove of unencrypted location camera and other data on a wrecked Tesla Model 3. What they did, somebody totaled their Model 3 Tesla, and uh, they went and bought this totaled car for, you know, not much money. And then they accessed the car's computer to see what, what unencrypted data was on it. And they found unencrypted data from 17 different devices. The, the car had been owned by a construction company and presumably used by multiple employees, it included 11 drivers or passengers' phone books were on there. It included numbers, email addresses, calendar entries for all 11 drivers. They also gained access to the last 73 locations. 
that had been plugged into the car navigation system. In addition, the car's computer still contained footage from the Model 3's seven cameras, including the forward view of the wreck that totaled the car. Mm. Wow. That's a lot. And they, they also saw a clip of the previous crash of the car that was less serious. Tesla said it offers customers an option to delete personal data by performing a factory reset on the vehicle. But, you know, after you've totaled a car, not many people think about doing a factory reset no, on the computer. No, they think about getting another car. They think about getting another car. So, so they can wreck that one. So th- this is actually a privacy issue because, you, like, you could be speeding or doing something and the police could pull you over, demand to look at the data in your car, and they could give you a ticket for something that you did when they weren't even there. Wow. You see, I mean, mm-hmm. suppose you were speeding an hour ago, mm-hmm. and they just download the data. They say, oh, you were breaking the speed limit an hour ago, and then they, they give you a ticket, and they didn't even witness it. So there's good, there, is, there are privacy issues that have to be addressed here, much like the privacy issues that they have with cell phones. Is that, is, can the police access a cell phone without a search warrant and all of that? We're going to have the same thing with cars. Well, we know that you like the Tesla. Yeah, I do. Does this change your desire to acquire a Tesla? No, it doesn't really. Okay. Because you know, you're little... like you're like our friend from Profiles in IT. You are a rule follower, not a rule breaker. So mm-hmm. if you're not doing anything wrong, exactly. No, I have nothing I, to worry about. I'm just going to keep my computer encrypted. I'll tr- I'll try to I'll try to make certain that I. You get... know what? You're good at, at hacking things. That's right. I don't mean that in a bad <clears throat> way, but you could. Uh, I could do something with you could it. Could do something with it. Now, Facebook sure. left a, a lot of user passwords unencrypted. This was a bit of a problem. They, they, what they did normally when you when a when a, a company stores a password, they they basically um, scramble it. They they, they encrypt it. It's, it's called a hash, and so you've got this hash of uh, of passwords, and then it and then it's, it it takes a, a lot of processing to try to recover the passwords from the hash, and you do that just just to, you know in case the website's hacked, you want to protect it. Well, they left the um, passwords unencrypted, not hashed at all, and they those passwords were acceptable, could just be read by 2,000 engineers and developers within Facebook. So Facebook could actually, you know, get anybody's password that they wanted to, and um, the Facebook personnel, these 2,000, they could get any, and they could log on to the account that they could do anything they want. Now, Facebook said that um, that there's no evidence that any of their employees did anything improper. But it's just another black eye for Facebook and their lack of lack of security, I would say, mm-hmm. and that to ensure the safety of their users. Now there is a village in South Africa that has its own solar powered public Wi Fi network. This is pretty interesting. That's pretty neat. That Mancosi is a remote area in South Africa's Central Cape province. Mancosi, it's a village that has 6,000 people. The nearest city is about 60 kilometers away. And these guys had no internet access. I mean, they really, they didn't have electricity out there. So in 2012, the village entered into a partnership with the research team at the University of Western Cape. And the aim was to experience with creating a model for a bottom-up village telco system that would be cheap for rural communities as well as sustainable. They call it the... Zenzalini Network. <laughs> Zenzalini Network. Yeah. It translates to do it yourself in the pre- in the prevalent local language. After receiving the necessary permissions, they set up a cooperative comprised of 10 respected local figures. The group then designed a layout for their network and built a dozen mesh network stations all powered by solar panels. 
And so they put these all around the village. Uh, they mounted them on or inside houses. You know, people just put, put them on top of their house or in the attic. So they had this mesh network all over the place. Then they, they set up a point-to-point connection to the nearest uh, Internet access point, and they ran this as a co-op. And the network offered users uh, Internet access. They could also get voice over IP at cheaper rates than a national average. And the billing system was overseen by the cooperative, it, and it kept it on a fair basis. Now, people could also – the other nice thing, people could connect their cell phone directly to the solar-powered powered stations in order to charge their cell phones at a fraction of the price. So the next step is to expand this network to 20 to 30 other communities around Mancosi. This is really a great idea to sort of get technology out in these developing regions. I, I love this. Facebook – has been accused of violating the U.S. Fair Housing Act. And um, th- this is an interesting case. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to decide what, what I think really makes sense. U.S. regulators say that digital advertising practices of Facebook violate the housing laws. They're reviewing whether the ads placed by Twitter and Google also d- discriminate, discriminate against those seeking, to place, seeking a place to live. So what... <clears throat> What's what's at stake here is whenever people pay for advertising, say on Facebook, you don't want to have your display ad just clicked on by everybody because you you, you pay so much per click. So what Mm -hmm. you do is you say, well, I only want to have my ad show up to to people who can afford the house. So then you put a range on it of, uh, you know, where they might live, what the income might be, and, and you... And you know, and you and you just put different parameters on it that only a certain subset of people can actually see the ad. I mean, this is how all digital advertising is done. But now, the um, the U.S. Housing and Urban Development um, Commission is saying that this actually violates fair housing because there might be some low-income people who who might want to buy it, and you're 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 not showing them the ad, or there might be. Like, for instance, there was a, the, the case that they referenced, they, they actually were targeting a particular race and a particular religion. They were saying they wanted and, – and, and so this was getting at, you know, getting right at the edge of what they should be doing. So now this is going to go to court and they're going to try to decide this thing. But this could have an impact over all the digital advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll really. have a huge effect. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can and we'd like you to go to the stratford university website stratford.edu check out our programs we've got we've got of course we've got computer science we've got uh, software engineering we've got uh, culinary arts culinary arts we've got computer networking health sciences nursing business and accounting and tell them that you heard about those programs on tech talk radio Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.